The Pentagon releases details of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's hospitalization. What does the breakdown in communication mean for administration protocols? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. Secretary Austin continues to recover well and remains in good spirits. He's in contact with his senior staff and has full access to required secure communications capabilities and continues to monitor DOD's day-to-day operations worldwide. And the Navy is trying to boost retention among surface warfare officers. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. First up, we have some more updates for you about Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and his hospitalization. Pentagon Bureau Chief Megan Myers joins the episode today from the Pentagon. So, Megan, thanks for joining us. And could you tell us what the Pentagon told you and other reporters was the reason Secretary Austin went to the hospital on January 1st. Further details have been made available. Is that correct? So Secretary Austin uh, was diagnosed with prostate cancer in early December. He had been under some blood work monitoring for it, and there was a change at the time. Uh, And so his doctors suggested that he get a prostatectomy, which is a procedure where part of the prostate is removed. Um, And so he went to Walter Reed on December 22nd, for that procedure. He spent the night, he went home. Um, and then between that time and January 1st, when he was hospitalized, he developed a urinary tract infection um, that then sent him to the intensive care unit. So that was the reason that he was hospitalized and the reason that he continues to be hospitalized on to January 9th, where we are now. And has there been any more detail or any more information on the lack of communication? We know his chief of staff failed to report to the White House about Secretary Austin's hospitalization, but the White House did announce plans about a notification process or reviewing those processes, didn't it? So Austin's chief of staff on Monday, January 8th, ordered a review of not only all of the events surrounding the communication of Austin's hospitalization, but also a review of how the deputy secretary of defense is notified when uh, the secretary of defense is incapacitated and she needs to take over. Um, but also codifying a procedure for when the Secretary of Defense is incapacitated and who informs the President, Congress, and within what time frame. Another important story, we have another health update, this time for Marine Corps Commandant General Eric Smith. If you remember last year, Smith had a cardiac issue in October that led to his hospitalization. For more on those developments, Marine Corps Times reporter Irene Lowenson joins the episode. So Irene, first, what are Marine Corps officials saying about Smith and his current condition? Well, back in late October, General Smith experienced a cardiac arrest and has not been on full duty status since then. Marine officials said uh, a month or two ago that General Smith planned to return to work, but first he had to have some kind of procedure to repair a um, congenital heart issue that caused this cardiac arrest. So that issue was a bicuspid aortic valve in his heart, and he had open heart surgery on Monday. According to the Marine Corps, it was successful, and he's in good condition recovering in the hospital and 
still planning to get back to work once he recovers. And who is in command of the Marine Corps while Smith recovers from this heart surgery? That's Assistant Commandant Christopher Mahoney, who was confirmed by the Senate a few days after General Smith had his medical emergency back in October. He is a career aviator who previously was in charge of the Marine Corps' budget. The plan is that until General Smith is back to work, General Mahoney will continue doing the duties of both Commandant and Assistant Commandant at once, which is um, a pretty busy schedule, especially because the Commandant has to sit on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But um, that was also the schedule that General Smith was maintaining before his medical episode back in October. But even though General Smith wasn't fully back to work, in recent months he's been posting videos here and there on Instagram, kind of showing that he's recovering, putting out messages to Marines, reassuring them that he's going to be back to work and, you know, wishing them various holiday wishes. So he hasn't been uh, fully out of the limelight, even as he's been recovering from his cardiac arrest. Also on your radar for today, the Navy is making a push to increase the retention rates of surface warfare officers often one of the weakest groups in the service in terms of retention rates. For more on this, Navy Times reporter Diana Stancy breaks it all down for us. So Diana, first for the non-Navy folks like myself, could you tell us about what the jobs of surface warfare officers entail? Yes, so surface warfare officers serve aboard surface ships and are basically involved in a variety of Navy missions. For example, if You have a surface warfare officer serving aboard an aircraft carrier. They would uh, conduct tasks to provide and coordinate air, submarine, and surface ship defense uh, for the carrier. But then also if you have a surface warfare officer serving with amphibious forces, they might be involved in embarking and transporting vehicles, equipment, and personnel for amphibious assault operations. So there really is a variety of tasks that these surface warfare officers conduct to serve the entire Navy as a whole. And what are Navy officials saying will be the focus to increase retention rates? From what I understand, the past couple of years have seen a decline in retention rates, but not catastrophically speaking. Speaking, is that right? Yes. So there are several initiatives in place. Um, and right now, looking at retention from this year, retention among service warfare officers going into department head school went down to 34.7%. That's slightly down from last year's number of 35.1%. So historically speaking, SWOs have departed their community at higher rates than the submarine and aviation communities. So over the past 20 years, the Navy has really worked to try to keep more of them in the ranks with a variety of incentives. So um, some that are in place right now are uh, offering up to $105,000 for SWOs who become department heads in uh, bonuses, and then also up to $46,000 for active duty lieutenant commander SWOs if they agree to stay in the service for another three years. So last year, Navy officials were saying that despite these offers, retention still has kind of stagnated a bit, resting at approximately 34 to 35%. That's still up from 30% roughly 20 years ago. So some new things that the Navy is testing out is uh, it's now working to increase options for school career paths to better support shore opportunities and family planning. So that includes offering more flexibility for when SWOs would start department head school. So right now the Navy is working to allow SWOs to complete department head school 
uh, up to approximately the ninth year of service. That's uh, a departure from what historically the Navy has done, where uh, SWOs would typically complete department head school at roughly around the seven-year mark. And now here are some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. NASA announced yesterday it will now target September 2025 for Artemis II, which is the first crewed Artemis mission around the moon. That mission will include a naval aviator as the commander and another Navy captain as the flight crew's pilot. Taiwan's defense ministry mistranslated an alert into English yesterday. It said China launched a missile instead of a satellite and urged caution days before the island's elections. Taiwan holds presidential and parliamentary elections on Saturday that China has described as a choice between war and peace. Somaliland's defense minister resigned to protest his government signing an agreement to allow landlocked Ethiopia to access Somaliland's coastline. Somalia also protested the deal as a threat to its sovereignty by the breakaway region of Somaliland. But Somaliland lacks international recognition as an independent state. NKTVH reported that Colonel Reina Dorval was promoted to Brigadier General, becoming the first woman in the Montana Army National Guard to have that title. And on this day in history, in 1967, during his State of the Union speech, President Lyndon B. Johnson asked Congress for more money to support the Vietnam War. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com ebb to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, a rating, or a comment wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zabon Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Megan Myers, the Associated Press, Irene Lowenson, and Diana Stancy. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Bruce. Have a great day.